Okay. The cord has the cord. been hit. It has been hit. That button was smashed. Yeah. Oops, I clapped. Oh, so, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's Sorry. do. Let's fix it. Let's fix it right now. All right. You lead us in. One, two, three. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Hey, Han. Hey, Deanna. Uh. Uh. <laughs> How are you? I'm, you know... Uh, welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Hi. <laughs> That's Deanna. I'm Hannah. We talk about ladies and all their forms across um, the spectrum of history, and we do it for fun. We didn't know about these women a week ago, and now we're telling you what we have learned. Maybe we didn't know about these women. I guess that's an assumption. Sometimes we don't know about these women. Sometimes we do. But... All Sometimes that being said. you don't know about these women. Sometimes you do. Damn straight. The goal is to like tell each other about someone that the other person probably doesn't know at least that much about. In a nutshell. Yeah. I think we do a good job. I have fun. I have a lot of fun. Good. And learn a lot. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. You're an expert in physics now after last week's episode. Totally. And I remember everything that you taught me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, God. So on that note, should we dive in? Yeah, let's dive in. I have no intro, so take it away. I want to talk to you about a lady in that case. Um, It is the last week, I believe, of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And I wanted to um, go to South Asia for yeah. this week. So um, there's a lot. Uh, I'm already going to have to beg for forgiveness. I looked up a lot of pronunciations. I cannot guarantee that I will say them all correctly. And in fact, I do guarantee that I will not say all of them correctly. Um, and there's a couple of... of tangents I have to make just for the sake of context because I was not aware because we're not frequently taught um, history in this country of Asia very well unless it involves the United States. So um, here we go. My sources this week are Wikipedia, a piece from Time Magazine by Nana Bajakal, um, a New York Times obituary from 1964 for this person. Mm. The print.in, which I think is the Indian yeah. um, extension, uh, by yep. Diksha Bardwaj. And um, a piece from yourstory.com by Kritiha Rajam, which cool. was more for a tangent, but still necessary. So I want to talk to you this week about Amrit, Amrit Kaur. I'm right. <laughs> Lay it on me. All right. Here we go. 
Mahatma Gandhi's clarion call for India's independence echoed across lines of class, religion, and gender. As Gandhi sought to include more women in the nationalist movement, he wrote to Rajkumari Amrit Kaur, I am now in search of a woman who would realize her mission. Are you that woman? Will you be one? And she was. Her life's mission was to transform India, breaking not only the colonial chains that bound it, but also the oppressive social norms that limited it. Ooh. hmm She's Ooh. crazy cool. So, Rajkumari Amrit Kaur, and I would just like to point out that Rajkumari translates to princess. It is a oh. title, not part of her name. Oh, okay. So she okay. was born a princess. Um, she was know. born February 2nd, 1889, in um, what was then the United Provinces, um, now known as uh, Lucknow, Uttar Pradesh in India. And she was born to Raja Harnam Singh Aluwalia, who was the younger son of the Raja of Kapurthala, and his wife, her mother, Priscilla Golanath. Um, her father left Kapurthala after the premature death of his older brother, which led to a uh, struggle for succession to the throne in their little kingdom. Um, So they had to leave home. She was brought up in a uh, Christian home because her father converted to Christianity. Her mother was a Bengali Christian. So that's kind of out of the usual um, common practice um, of Hinduism, which is very prevalent. I was going to ask if he was Hindu. Yeah. Presumably. I didn't look into it, Uh, but that it would be not a, unintelligent guess (laughs) um so she being born into aristocracy was sent to england for her schooling makes sense because at this time obviously england uh britain uh uh, colonized india and claimed it as part of their kingdom (laughs) that makes sense yeah Um, they did that they did do that (laughs) britain was real cool about that kind of stuff um yeah, so she went to Dorset and went to the Sherbourne, Sherbourne School for Girls there. Uh, I would just like to point out she was head girl and captain of the hockey, cricket, and lacrosse teams there. Oh, so fancy. And then she went to um, university at Oxford. Also fancy. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And so after completing her education in England, she returned to India, and she was 20 when she went back. And so... All right. When she came home, she became very interested in the Indian independence movement. Uh, Apparently, her dad shared close association with Indian National Congress leaders, including liberal political leader and social reformer Gopal Krishna Gokhale, who often visited them. He's like apparently a huge like political liberal figure from the time, like a radical, um, you know, pursuer of independence. Yeah. Um, She was drawn to the thoughts and vision of Mahatma Gandhi, whom she wrote to and subsequently met in Bombay, now Mumbai, in 1919. Uh, But at that time, her parents didn't want her getting involved in any sort of political independence movement. I don't exactly know why, presumably for her safety, maybe because they didn't agree, even though they were friends with all these leaders. Maybe they just didn't want their daughter caught up in it. She had a bunch I mean, of I think... she had a bunch of brothers. She had like seven brothers and she was the only girl. Oh my god. Yeah. <clears throat> That's so many. But I feel like 
you can get caught up in violence in those movements very quickly. Yeah. And if you are somebody who has grown up in a life of privilege and you've grown up in that life because of your title, you might be you might be at more risk. Yes. Than others. So when she met Gandhi at that time, he was aware of her and her lineage and basically told her that he wanted her to respect her parents' wishes and objections and basically told her not to join his movement in any official capacity. Um, so uh, following the Jallianwala Bagh massacre later that year, uh, Amrit mm-hmm. became a strong critic of British rule in India and she formally joined Congress and began active participation in India's independence movement while also focusing on bringing about social reform. So, wow. Quick tangent for social context here, historical context. Uh, the Jallianwala Bagh massacre was a huge deal, and I really didn't know that much about it. Um, yeah. It was also known as the Amritsar massacre, and it was um, April 13th, 1919 when acting brigadier general reginald dyer reginald dyer ordered troops of the british army to fire their rifles into a crowd of unarmed indian civilians and it killed more than 400 people men and women um and over a thousand people were injured jesus so he was dyer was convinced that a major insurrection could take place and he basically banned all gatherings of civilians but his order decree wasn't widely disseminated among the general public um which is a a recipe for disaster and um yeah many villagers gathered in the bog to celebrate the important indian festival of Baisakhi and to peacefully protest the arrest and deportation of two of their national leaders so they were just gathering to celebrate like a quintessential festival and to and support it was one their another. Right. Yes. At so, the time, as far as they knew. Yes. So Dyer and his troops entered the garden, blocked the main entrance behind them, took up a position on a raised bank, and with no warning, just opened fire on the crowd for 10 minutes. Jesus Christ. The amount of damage you can do with guns, even back then, in 10 minutes, is Ugh. insane. Um, and they were directing their bullets largely toward the few open gates through which people were trying to run. And they were shooting until their ammunition supply was basically exhausted. They basically shot until they ran out of bullets for with no warning. Um, And the following day, Dyer stated in a report, quote, my party fired 1,650 rounds. Proudly, I assume. Yes. And he was initially lauded for his actions in Britain. Um, Of course. He became a hero among many who were directly benefiting from the British Raj such as members of the House of Lords. But he was widely criticized in the House of Commons, which makes a little more sense, um, whose July 1920 Committee of Investigation censured him. Um, But because, so fucking frustrating and so, again, unsurprising, because he was a soldier acting on orders, he could not be tried for murder. Only the military could discipline him. And the military chose not to bring him before a court-martial. He was just removed from his current appointment turned down for a proposed promotion and basically barred from any further employment in India. Um, 
So he he retired from the army, returned to England, where he died unrepentant in 1927. And why would you repent? No one, no one, a punished you. But you like you don't open fire on a crowd of people like that if you are the kind of person who's ever gonna see those actions as 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 wrong, horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Responses polarized both the British and Indian people, as makes sense. Um, eminent author Rudyard Kipling, who I would like to point out, even though was born in India, was white and loved colonialism. So, uh, Rudyard Kipling declared at the time that Dyer, quote, did his duty as he saw it, end quote. Um, the incident shocked Rabindranath Tagore, who was the first Indian and Asian Nobel laureate, um, to such an extent he renounced his knighthood. And stated that, quote, such mass murderers aren't worthy of giving any title to anyone, end quote. Damn. So this massacre caused a reevaluation by the British Army of its kind of militant role against civilians. Um, They decided that their um, outlook was going to be minimal force whenever possible after this. Um, But I would just like to point out that um, the, the... British actions during other insurgencies um, from countries they colonized, like the Mau Mau insurgencies in Kenya, have led many historians to note that the policy wasn't always carried out. Shocker. Um, But the army was retrained and allegedly developed less violent tactics for crowd control. Um, But like just the level of casual brutality and lack of accountability basically stunned the entire nation of India and they essentially lost all faith in the intentions of the United Kingdom toward their country. Um, yeah. Surprise. And yeah, imagine that. These people who died were martyred, essentially. Um, yeah. And it was like many historians consider this one incident, like the decisive moment toward the end of British rule in India. And it certainly was something that motivated Amrit Kaur to start to become more politically active herself. Um, yeah. It is, it's seven o'clock. Um, I would just like to say, and this still kind of horrifies me, Britain has never formally apologized for this massacre, but es- expressed God. regret in 2019. Uh-huh. They've never apologized. That's cool. Um, regret. So anyway, Jesus. I figured that oh, yeah. that was very important to explain for historical yeah. context here. Yeah. No, I think it makes it makes a lot of sense. And um, I'm just going to power through this cowbell just in case anybody can hear it. Because <laughs> yeah. eh, why not? It's quarantine. <laughs> we get it. Um, but it's a lot. I mean, you're, you're talking about that incident as like a mobilizing event where, yeah. you know, it changed India's perception of of this you know, ruling, colonizing country, it it makes me think of, like, 9-11, yeah. which is a, an, a, an event that basically re, relaunched or launched anew for so many people this intense hatred, and, and we used this event as, like, a, you know, Pa- a, a patriotic mobilizing yeah. thing that right. that 
we used as a as a reason to go to war. You know, we used it as a right. reason for Though, a lot of crazy Though, to be fair, shit. I feel like this was much more justified. Uh, no, I totally agree. Um, I only bring it up in in the sense that, like, when you as a as a nation experience that kind of loss about what happened, you know, yeah, it it is even if even if the the reaction is right or wrong the point is just that like it's so easy to see those events and see what happened and go holy shit like these people yeah. really they don't have our fucking best interest at heart clearly like they want to hurt us yes they actively want to hurt us yeah i mean exactly who's really benefiting from this relationship here yeah um so it was obviously a big catalyst, I think, for her. Um, we can jump ahead a few years. Uh, Court founded the All India Women's Conference in 1927 and was later appointed its secretary in 1930 um, and president in 1933, um, which the All India Women's Conference still exists. It's an organization that is promoting female empowerment even to this day in India. I'm just going to plow through. So, um, Kaur's father died in 1930. And when her father died, not long after that was when she left Kapurthala Palace to go to Gandhi's ashram near Bombay, um, where she adopted an austere lifestyle despite her aristocratic background, and she became a secretary to the Mahatma, which was a post that she held for 17 years. Whoa. His, like, right-hand lady. Um, yeah, so with Damn. her parent, her, her father dead, she was like, okay, well, I can, I can, I respected your wishes, and now you're gone, so I'm going to go do what I want to do. Yeah. And she gave up all her, like, comforts and all this to, to live austerely, which is awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you're going all in for sure. I mean, yeah. and you know, she definitely went all in. <laughs> she was uh, arrested by British authorities many times. Um, oh. She was imprisoned for her participation in the Salt March, which was led by Gandhi in 1930, uh, which is like a really long. I think it was like three weeks, like 24 days or something, and they were basically protesting that the British were taxing salt like Ah. crazy because India was a big producer of salt and Gandhi was breaking laws by just taking salt water or or letting salt air dry and having salt for himself. But anyway, it was like a whole bunch of like a big crowd of people. Just one person would join and another person would join. Another person would join. It was a big nonviolent march and she was arrested for taking part in that. Um, as a representative of the Indian National Congress in 1937, she went on a mission of goodwill to Banu and the British Raj authorities charged her with sedition and imprisoned her. Jesus. Um, she kind of, I think, swung back and forth in the minds of, uh, the British, um, because they also appointed her as a member of the advisory board of education at a certain point, And she resigned when she became involved with the Quit India movement in 1942, um, which was the huh. official sort of independence movement that, you know, uh, she was like, yeah. I can't work for you guys and do this. Um, <laughs> and she was, of course, imprisoned by the authorities for her actions during that time. 
and uh, carried with her to jail a spinning wheel, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Bible. Wow. Yeah. Um, She championed the cause of universal suffrage and testified before the Lothian Committee on Indian Franchise and Constitutional Reform uh, about that. Um, she, I, it's just so funny to me, all these facts that I was finding about this, is what she did, this is what she did at this time. This is, she was busy yeah. as fuck <laughs> just talking, promoting her beliefs, like spreading the word. Um, so yeah, the All India Women's Conference. She was a member of the executive committee of Lady Irwin College in New Delhi. And she was sent as a member of the Indian delegation to the UNESCO conferences in London and Paris in 1945 and 1946, respectively. Yeah, that's a hefty resume. Yeah. And this is all before India's independence. Right. This is all. And while she's also working working for for that and being a secretary to Mahatma Gandhi. Um, Jesus. Yeah. She worked to increase literacy. She worked to eradicate the custom of child marriages, which is, oh, I believe, God, still an issue. <laughs> yeah. And the purda system for women, um, which the purda system is the practice among women in certain Muslim and Hindu societies of li- women living in a separate room or behind a curtain or dressing in all enveloping clothes in order to stay out of the sight of men or strangers. Interesting. Um, and she also worked to end the uh, Devadasi system which was prevalent then among some Indian communities. And I think the Devadasi system still exists because I found a really fascinating article. This is another mini tangent I had to go off on um, because I was like, what the fuck is that? Um, The Devadasi system, uh, Devadasi means servant of God. And so these were women who were dedicated to God and considered given in marriage to God or gods because it's a Hindu Mm. practice. Um, meaning they could therefore not marry any mortal. But they were free to choose sexual partners from among married and unmarried men. Um, Their relationships could be long and stable or for a short period of time, but these women were not economically dependent on their partners in any way. Um, Right. To me, like it kind of jumped out at me as, as kind of like a more religious version of like a geisha because they learned music and dance and all types of arts Um, but not to conflate the two, but that just, it was kind of reminiscent of that to me for a connection to something that I already knew about. Um, they would dance and sing in temples or in front of royalty and they would earn gold and land as a reward. Um, they would, some chose to dedicate themselves only to God and stayed without a partner through their whole life. Um, and the tradition of Devadasi culture can be traced back to as early as the seventh century, and at that time, they were well-treated, well-respected. They held a high social status. Um, it was common for them to be invited uh, to be present at or initiate sacred religious rituals. They were just like very respected wow. uh, as a class of people. And um, over time, their association with temples diminished, as did their social status. And so then they kind of became mistresses to priests, then kings and wealthy landowners. Um, mm. And it just seemed to kind of degrade a little bit. But where it really degraded was uh, in the 19th century when Western missionaries showed up. Um, mm. They tried to abolish Devadasis, um, which forced them underground to basically become underground sex workers. 
Um, at, at present, Devadasis really are nothing more than sex slaves or um, child prostitutes um, who are dedicated to temples when they are as young as four or five. Oh, my God. Almost all of them are from underprivileged castes in India. Um, the children are forced into becoming Devadasis by their parents because frequently they're the only source of income for their family. Um, a lot of the families, because of the caste that they are in, are not allowed to enter or stay in villages. Um, they can really, they're ostracized and can only get jobs um, basically as street cleaners or sewage collectors because they're mostly illiterate and, and uneducated and have no means for a stable income. So they, they're forced to basically act as pimps for their daughters, um, which, you know, they become dedicated to a god at a young age and in hopes of finding a means for income for their family. Um, and once the girls attain puberty, then the parents will inform the community, which then helps them find a landlord or someone wealthy to take them. And Jesus. The, the man in turn takes care of the financial needs of the family, partially or fully, as long as he uses her for sex. Um, oh. There's a huge demand for girls who are virgins and they are paid more. And, of course they are. Uh-huh. And by the time Devadasis are about 30, they are basically useless and they usually have kids and they ha they just then become like run of the mill sort of street sex workers. Um, mm. And it's just like a really shitty system now. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's so much of the of the caste system. Yeah. These days. And so uh, Amrit Kaur worked to end that back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, but it yeah. still exists today, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So uh, I have some quotes, actually, from her directly regarding this line of thinking. So the first quote uh, is, The abolition of early marriage and purda will remove two of the main obstacles in the way of the spread of female education. Needless to say, the position of widows in Hindu homes, marriage laws, and laws relating to inheritance of property by women need radical alteration. Yeah. In the realm of educational reform, we have urged ever since our inception that there should be free and compulsory education. Again, as far as proper facilities for the female education are concerned until such a time as universal free and compulsory primary education, as well as an adequate supply of infant and girls schools equipped with trained women teachers are introduced, we must continue to do our utmost to have the system of education in our existing institutions changed. And finally, child marriage is eating as a canker into the vitality of our national life. Girls become mothers while they are children themselves and bring into the world offspring who are, in the very nature of things, the victims of disease and ill health. She's a very progressive yeah. woman for being born really rich, I have to say. Well, I mean, this is why so many conservative countries and parties don't want people and women to be educated. Yeah. You know, because especially like when you are educated in a Western country, yes, England may not have had, you know, equal rights for men and women at that time, but they clearly yeah, women had... just barely got the right to vote in England. Right. But at least they they had the ability to go to a university and learn 
some of I assume the progressive ideals that she's like the the, the I mean she was Oxford educated and yeah the necessity for an education it's fascinating that she took the western education that she received and slapped him back in the face with it <laughs> it's like yeah. you taught me all these things congratulations fuck you <laughs> right <laughs> um so anyway which is what you should do with education yes slap um, someone in, in the face with it India became independent in 1947. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just like to point out that Queen Elizabeth was alive at that time and an adult, (laughs) basically. Thank Um, you. Thank you for that. So she could theoretically apologize for some of the atrocities, but whatever. Um, (sighs) So India became independent from colonial rule in August of 1947, and Amrit Kaur was appointed to the Indian Constituent Assembly, which was the governing body that was tasked with creating the Constitution of India. Oh, she damn. was a writer, a framer of the Indian Constitution. All right. One of the few women, if not the only. I don't know how many other women were involved in that, but it was definitely much more male. And she well, was also shit, yeah. a member of the Subcommittee on Fundamental Rights and the Subcommittee on Minorities. Wow. And she then became a part of India's first prime minister's cabinet and was the first woman to ever hold a cabinet ranking. Damn. In India. In independent All right. India. Yeah. Um, and she was tasked with leading the Ministry of Health. In 1950, she was elected president of the World Health Assembly at the World Health Organization an organization very important to us right now. Yeah. Or she, it used to be until we denounced it or whatever. The well, our we country did. is. Well, um, yeah. She was the first woman and the first Asian to hold that post. God. And for the first 25 years of the World Health Assembly, uh, only two women ever had that post. Wow. Um, as health minister, she played an instrumental role in the establishment of uh, the All India Institute of Medical Scientists, Sciences, AIMS, A-I-I-M-S, which still exists today. It's a medical school, hospital, and public medical research university um, in New Delhi. And she was its first president. Wow. Just like so many good she, works. Yes. Um, she and one of her brothers actually donated their ancestral property and home named Manorville to serve as a holiday home for the staff and nurses of that institute. Oh, yeah. God, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's the the things that she gave up that she was not required to, but just because it was simply a part of her moral fabric. Right. It's just. Well, and she she seemed, I think it it seems like she's the kind of person who would have realized like when you treat people well, they do a good job and they love you when know you give people opportunity and, and you give them education and you give them respect wow yeah, what a concept back, yeah. you know yeah it's it's yeah. insane how it's like obvious that these are tried and true methods and so many people well we don't know if that would work trickle down economics and it's like no actually when you d- that, what okay <sighs> one of her greatest campaigns as minister of health was against malaria which oh. at the time was like a huge problem in Asia, apparently. Okay. So says the New York Times from 1964. Um, at one time, malaria killed around one million people a year in India. 
Oh, God. That's um, a lot. So she wanted to help end that. And at the height of her campaign in 1955, it was estimated that 400,000 Indians who would otherwise have died had been saved by the mitigation of malaria in their districts due to her work. Hot damn. I know. Shit. Um, She served as chairperson (laughs) of the Indian Red Cross Society for 14 years. Um, And during that time, they did a number of pioneering works in the hinterlands of India, to quote the article that I'm... Well, well, well. <laughs> um, so they wanted to bring health care to small towns, people who didn't have access to health care. Yeah. Um, she initiated the Tuberculosis Association of India and the Central Leprosy Teaching and Research Institute in Madras, which is now Chennai. Um, and she started a, a college of nursing and the National Sports Club of India. Wow. I guess I didn't. Maybe I missed it, but I didn't realize that she had such a a, a medical focus. Yeah. Did she go to school for medicine or nursing or something? It's just so interesting that, like, once she she got – or once India gained – uh, independence, these are the things that she focused on. like, your on. minister of health. Well, she was yeah. given the role of minister of health and really took it upon herself to take her job seriously. Yeah. Um, I, I just like the National Sports Club of India – but, it, you know, she was captain of three sports teams when she yeah. was in school. So I guess Makes she was sense. a fan of sports. Um, from 1957 until her death in 1964, she remained a member of Rajya, Rajya Sabha, which is basically one of the parts of Congress of India. Um, mm. It's the Council of States is what it's also called. It's the upper house of the bicameral parliament of India. So it's basically like the Senate or the House of Lords. Okay. So she remained a member of that governing body and until her death she continued to hold the presidencies of the all india institute of medical scientists sciences wow i cannot say that word today the tuberculosis <laughs> association of india and the saint john's ambulance corps so wow that's great so she died in new delhi in 1964 at the age of 75 and while she was a practicing roman catholic she was cremated as per sikh rituals in the yamuna in the tradition of her family. So she was cremated. Ah, so she was Sikh. Um, her family her, was Sikh. Her, I guess, initially. yeah. Yeah. Ah. There you go. That's the answer. Yeah. I did not remember that when we first started. I just looked over my notes, <laughs> No, that's too. okay. That's um, okay. So that's fascinating. Independence activist Aruna Asaf Ali said, quote, Rajkumari Amrit Kaur belonged to a generation of pioneers they belonged to well-to-do homes, but gave up on their affluent and sheltered lives and flocked to Gandhi's banner when he called women to join the national liberation struggle. Apparently, Gandhi would affectionately use the epithet idiot or rebel <laughs> to refer to her in their letters, which reminds me of you because you affectionately call people idiots all the time. No, or I dummies. Don't. Idiot. <laughs> um, and she would call him robber or tyrant. Oh, (laughs) they developed such a lasting friendship that they continued to write to each other, even during their jail terms. And and he basically encouraged her. This is something that I I cut out, but still sticks in my mind. So I'm going to say it. When she was offered the position in the cabinet of the prime minister, she almost turned it down, apparently, because she wanted to keep working for Gandhi. Oh, girl. And he he was like, no, you should go. Do this. Effect yeah, change. Yeah, what the fuck? And she was kind of butthurt about it because she was like, what the fuck? I've been working for you for 17 years and you just kick me out like I'm nothing. 
Like but you're nothing. <laughs> she didn't say that. That's my own editorializing. Yeah. I but, liked the editorializing. Um, but then, of course, uh, Gandhi died the following year. So oh, it's Aww. probably good that she took it, took the job. Um, yeah. Yeah. But she was Aww. like really, really fucking important to India. Well, she, yeah, she clearly had and and has a lasting effect in yeah. ways in like all the, the, in the like, structural change yeah. that she made herself that she created these systems and these organizations that still exist today and she was all for female empowerment and female education and the end of child marriage and you know child prostitution basically um yeah which I only say that I, I was trying to figure it out because saying child sex worker also doesn't sound very nice. No, because that's not they're, they're slaves, basically. Yeah. That's, so, you know, but anyway, she had all these really strong convictions. And I think it's really fucking phenomenal that she was able to follow through on so many of those convictions as a woman in a time where women were <laughs> right. not as respected. You yeah. know, in in a. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. She, you you look at the the women who she was fighting to liberate from from the lives that they were leading. Like, clearly, clearly there's a, a, a lack national of pride sort of standpoint. Like, I yeah. want all Indian women to have the same opportunities as myself, to have the same yeah. access to health care as myself, to have the same access to education, to have the same access to uh, marriage freedom. Yeah, it's revolutionary in so many ways. And so not only did she help liberate her country, she helped establish systems that are so powerful and still standing. Yeah, I still help. And she gave up life as a princess to do this. Her family was (laughs) definitely benefiting from the British Raj. Oh, yeah. And she chose to say, fuck you, because you guys don't have our best interests at heart and I have much better ideas about what to do for my country. Yeah. And it takes a strong person to be like, nah, money. Don't want you. I'd rather do these other things and like help people. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> at least according to um, if, if how our wealthy people behave these days is any indication. And, yeah. um, that's next to impossible. They're dragons to hoarding a pile of gold in. for no fucking reason. Right. But if I give you my money, I won't have any. Like, yes, you will. You have more money than you know what to do with, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. yeah. Give us five pennies off your five trillion penny pile. It'll be fine. Ugh. But no, I think, and, and you know, I think that does show that it's it's kind of amazing to be able to give that shit up and dedicate your life to so many different things and each one of them is intended the to help somebody of society yeah that's really uh unusual but in obviously the best way yeah so she was i really enjoyed learning about her and learning about indian history things that i didn't know like i had no idea about that massacre and I mean, obviously, I I have always, maybe not always, but have staunchly believed that colonialism is horrible. And I've never 
been like more happy to be like, yeah, fuck you, Britain, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And see the amazing like doors that this woman kicked open and and helped build the roads for women behind her. Yeah. Ugh, she's it's so incredible. Cool. She's so cool. I uh it it honestly I'm kind of glad that she did not live to see what's happening in India right now because I think it yeah, I she, think would, she, be, would, be she would be horrified. Yeah. I don't know. I but I'm, I'd like to believe just as I think that there's you know beacons of light in our country which is not doing the greatest works in the world. <laughs> there're still yeah people doing good work here and people doing important work here and I think that those people still exist in India too and yeah. people who learn about her or follow in her footsteps are there and here and ready to yeah. lovingly support their country not fascistly support their country are you a good witch or a bad bitch let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our patreon, patreon. <laughs> oh no patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh come along with doing our podcast and the more patrons we get hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively yeah. for patrons yes so if you are interested in something like that please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast <laughs> but yeah that was rajkumari amrit kaur dude thank you she's a badass she was a badass. I'm a little obsessed with her. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I feel like there's probably 20 more things that she did that you didn't there even are. get a I, chance I to. I had like things that she, organizations she was a part of, things that she, I was like, woman, how did you have the time of day? I don't, when did you, you must have woken up very early and gone to sleep very late. And not watched any TV or gotten distracted by a cell phone or. <laughs> right. Yeah. We have we have some distractions these days, but still, she was amazing, yeah, uh, and that was awesome. Would you like Thank some you. on this day? You're welcome. I would. Okay. It is May twenty seventh, so May twenty seventh, nineteen nineteen. The NC four aircraft arrives in Lisbon after completing the first transatlantic flight. Ah, more airplanes. <laughs> yeah, again, uh, May twenty seventh, nineteen thirty. The Chrysler Building in New York City, the tallest man-made structure at the time, opens to the public. Oh. Yeah. Well, May 27th, 1937, in California, the Golden Gate Bridge opens to pedestrian traffic. Wow. May mm -hmm. 27th is a big day for monuments. Yeah. Yes. Uh, May 27th, <laughs> 1967. Australians vote in favor of a constitutional referendum granting the Australian government the power to make laws to benefit indigenous Australians and to count them in the national census. Jesus, what year? 1967. Holy fuck. Yeah, well. Wow. Indigenous peoples. 
have, you know, not historically been treated as citizens of their own countries for far too long. Um, wow. But to end on a pos- somewhat positive note, and actually kind of relates to last week. Oh. Um, May 27th, 2016, uh, Barack Obama is the first president of the United States to visit Hiroshima Peace Memorial Park and meet uh, Hibashika, which is a word of Japanese origin generally designating people affected by the 1945 atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, wow. So he was the first U.S. president wow. to meet victims, basically, and apologize. Oh. Which I thought that connected well with mine, too, about, you know, colonial powers. Yes. Apologizing yes. for mistakes and uh, unnecessary killing. But it's fascinating since you did a woman last week who worked on the Manhattan Project. Yes. Gosh. Yeah, that is super appropriate. Mm-hmm. And also so interesting that that apology is coming from a country being led by a black man at yeah. the time and not... Mm-hmm. Hibakusha. I think I said Hibashka. I think it's Hibakusha. Sorry. I just didn't want to. No. I think myself. Lear- learning is Hibakusha. the appropriate thing to do. Yes. Wow. But. Very cool. Yeah. Go Brock. God, yeah. I miss him. Uh, me too. And what are you excited way. about? Let's end on a positive note. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that Studio Ghibli. And all of Doctor Who is going to be or is available on HBO Max today. So. Whoa. Yeah. So that means Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke and Kiki's Delivery Service. I need to watch fucking amazing um, um, movies. Princess Mononoke and I need to watch Totoro. Those yes. are two I haven't seen. I haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle. So I, I really want to watch that. It's one of you my do? faves. Yeah. I own Princess Mononoke, and that's one of my faves. Eee. But uh, yeah, so that is all available on HBO Max and um, and yeah, all of Doctor Who, which means I can finally get caught up on Jodie Whittaker because I haven't seen any of her Doctor at all. I haven't either. And so, Yeah. So that's all I think. I think that's up today on the, the 27th. So um, I'm excited about that because I'm just going to go and Fuck fucking yeah. watch as much Doctor Who as I can. I'm losing my <laughs> mind because Avatar The Last Airbender is all up on Netflix again. Yes! And... Oh, God. Yes. So many exciting things. Yes. See? But, Everything's uh, fine. So yeah, watch Studio Ghibli. Watch Avatar The Last Airbender. And watch Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, I think we've left you guys with uh, some good shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I hope it was a good Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month for everybody. I hope I you sure learned some think stuff. It was. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, feel free to let us know what you thought if you want on um, social media we are at GWBB podcast on pretty much every platform Twitter Instagram we're on Facebook you can email us GWBB podcast at gmail.com and um, you can find us on patreon and ko-fi GWBB podcast 
And uh, thank you to everybody who has continued to listen to us, especially through this quarantine when I think people are listening to fewer podcasts and things. Because and they don't have work commutes. <laughs> so, right. And Unless thank you're an you, essential worker. Unless you're an essential worker. Um, and thank you to everybody who continues to support us on Patreon and on Ko-Fi. We really, uh, we could not do it without you. We It still blows so me much. away and makes me feel so warm in my heart that yes. people support us. <laughs> me too. We are very lucky. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it. So with that, peace out, witches. See you later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon